The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. One problem facing people at many levels of business is how to make time for a work life and a personal life. Do you find that one seems to keep getting in the way of the other? This is the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Even if you're not involved in the business world, you'll have a lot to gain by tuning in to today's show. Now, here is your host, Rick Morris. And welcome to another Friday edition of the Work-Life Balance. You know, uh, first, let's let's just address it out of the gate for, for my longtime listeners. If, if you're catching that uh, my voice is about two octaves lower, that is that is just sheer uh, passion and exhaustion coming through. Um, if you listen to last Friday's show, we did that live from the John Maxwell events. I brought in a couple of my fellow JMTers um, as we processed, you know, what had happened just on day one uh, of that event, and, and and we couldn't keep our thoughts together. So, you know, now it's three days of of full, you know, Maxwellisms in in Maxwell, and and so normally I had I, I do this show. Uh, and and kind of process everything that I that that I learned at, at you know with Maxwell and um, with John Maxwell and Paul Martinelli, Christian Simpson, um, and Chris uh, Robinson and, and that whole team and, and Mark Cole was was so on fire in this one the the pearls of wisdom and the things that he was dropping was incredible, um, but we you know we we had an original show planned with this guest and um, there was there was a. a storm in the studio uh, of the network of voice america and it, it was the only time it's happened um that i know of and and so we had to cancel the the friday shows and so we canceled on this person and so now as we have planned this guest uh hurricane harvey has impacted you know certainly the uh, communities in his area and, and so i think you know somebody's just trying to not make sure that the two of us talk for some reason um, but uh, lo and behold, we finally gotten the opportunity to to have this guest. And I'm so excited. Um, just really quickly, upcoming, uh, we're going to be in Austin, Texas, September 11th, 12th, and 13th, the Resource Planning Summit. I'm so excited about that event. Not only are we speaking, um, but uh, you know, several of my great friends are going to be speaking there as well. Um, so it's going to be just a, a phenomenal event. Um, you, you, there's still time to sign up for that. So that is the Resource Planning Summit at September 11th, 12th, and 13th. It's going to be uh, on Brazo Street there in Austin, Texas. Um, I, I know Kevin Martin's going to be speaking there. I know Frank Saladis is going to be there, who actually started the International Project Management Day. Um, I'll be there. There's a host of other people. Uh, so please come join us for that. September 29th, they'll be at IIBA here in Birmingham, Alabama. Of course, the big event, October 6th, Live to Lead. Uh, simulcast 250 countries around the world is going to be live in Atlanta, Georgia. But that is John C. Maxwell, Cheryl Boschel, their work, Don Dave Ramsey, an incredible leadership event that you will find in your community. And, and again, $20,000 to $100,000 if you heard any one of them come into your organization to, to, to speak or lean into you. Yet you're going to be able to see them for, for literally $100 to $150, depending on where you're going to see this in, in your location. 
it is an incredible event that you want to lean into and understand. And then right after that, October 13th, um, I'll be speaking at the Central Iowa uh, Professional Development Day in Des Moines. So all, you can find all those events at rickamorris.com, rsquareconsulting.com. Hit us up on Twitter at rickamorris. So let's get to uh, the the ill-fated guest, the guest that would never be, the guest that we thought we'd never discuss. But this one uh, is very special to me because we 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 found him. I actually uh, found him uh, through a couple of my fellow JMTers. They, they were tweeting, and, and it picked up on a hashtag, uh, called kids deserve it, and so I started to read through this hashtag, and man, it just the, the things that I were reading, the inspirations that I was finding, and and so I reached out to Mike Stevens, um, who who's my VP, and said we we've got to find this guy. I've I've got to talk to him. I I just need to know who created this, um, and the things that they were pouring into just just spoke to my heart. And so when we found this gentleman, we found out he was the principal and lead learner of Webb Elementary. In Minnesota, Texas, and he's a White House champion of change, the 2015 BAMI Award recipient for elementary principal and the 2014 recipient for classroom teacher of the year, the TCEA teacher of the year for 2014, and a National School Board Association 20 to Watch Center of Digital Education Top 40 Innovators in Education. Now, he's also the co-author of the award-winning book, Flipping 2.0, and most recently, Kids Deserve It. He's got upcoming books called Stories from Web and Sparks in the Dark, and he serves both on the Scholastic Principal Advisory Board and the Remind Advisory Board. And he also co-hosts his own podcast called Kids Deserve It and Sparks in the Dark. So please welcome Todd Nestlin. Todd, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. And like you said, I'm glad despite the natural occurrences, we were able to make this happen. Well, and let's let's address that. It really wasn't a topic that we had planned to discuss, but I think it's something that I think deserves discussing. So, you know, you're right in in kind of the heart of it there in Texas, um, and, and I, I know you know just you being a servant leader and a servant heart. Um, you know, talk to to us a little bit. Just tell us what's going on down there and what maybe you've got going on down there. Yeah, I mean, as any citizen in America or in Malala around the world will know, is that you know Hurricane Harvey. Uh, hit off our coast in Texas where I live. I live about 45 minutes to an hour west of Houston. Um, And so we were here in the brunt of it. We got a lot of the wind and rain and flooding, um, but, you know, nowhere near the devastation that areas like Dickinson, Port Arthur, Beaumont, and Houston have been experiencing. Um, And I know, you know, those cities are cities I grew up in, cities I've been around my entire life. I'm born and raised Texas in this area. And so watching the devastation on the news has just been incredibly heartbreaking. And as an educator, to see those children and to hear about the schools that are flooded and, and districts that are canceling for indefinite future and those that are canceling for two or three more weeks, it just it breaks my heart um, to know. And, and it's so hard. Like it's so I, I want to get out there and do something. But for so long, the roads were flooded where you couldn't even get into or out of Houston. Um, there's been a lot of receding waters now, but there's some areas that are going to be flooded for several more weeks. And so there's just a lot of great things happening online, though, with different organizations who are, like, doing adopt schools where you can adopt different schools to help fund them. I know Donors Choose is doing a lot to raise money to help teachers get back on their feet. And, you know, Adam Welcome, the co-founder of Kids Deserve It and the co-author and myself, we sell Kids Deserve It shirts every month. And, you know, we, we take that money and we give 100% of it to Donors Choose projects, which are projects that teachers can put online um, to get random strangers to donate to things that they need for their classroom. And so over the last year and a half of selling shirts, we've donated between thirty and $40,000 um, from T-shirt sales. And so we thought, you know, 
this month, we really want to focus on schools that are affected by Hurricane Harvey because so much of the news is focused on Houston, but there's so many areas that have been affected. And so all of our T-shirt sales for the month, for over the next 10 days, we have the campaign still open. Um, we're going to donate all that money to schools affected. And it's been crazy to watch the outpouring because we've already got about five, five and a half thousand dollars raised so far. So it's pretty exciting to watch. That's amazing. That's amazing. And, and you know, I have uh, several friends in Houston and a couple of dear friends that, that you know, I, I consider brothers and in, in, you know, one of his, he had a very, very scary moment. One of his trucks washed away and his wife and mm-hmm. him had to, you know, climb through the window. And, and when you, you know, you see things on the news and, and, and you see things like that and people are, are, are tending to disassociate. And, and, you know, this is mm-hmm. real. It's happening to people like you and me. And um, the the other portion of that is that my JMT family was together. And so that's, you know, 2,500 people were there, but then there's, there's you know, five or 600 of us that are alumni that have, have, have grown very close. So we, we know a lot of people um, that have been devastated by this. And, and that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? Tip of the spear. So, you know, as myself and as you and everybody else, we, we urge you whatever you can do, whatever way. And I think one of the more touching videos I know I saw um, was, the, you know, somebody was going down the highway and just the lines of people with, you know, bass boats, you know, kayaks, uh-huh. whatever boat they had, you know, heading right on into the center, right, to, to help. I, that was, the, to me, that was Southern pride, you know. That, I, I well, was, you know, and it's one ahead. of those things that it's like when you, in the midst of all this pain and all this destruction and devastation, to be able to see the human spirit come out like that and to be able to see people come together, especially when we are in such a um, volatile and touchy country right now with politics and all these other things going on and, and all of these things that are flaring up, to have that moment where in the midst of this gigantic storm that brought all this devastation and pain, to see people rise up and come together and have all of that disappear for just a moment um, and to see people fly in and drive in from other states and across the state of Texas and just show up to help. Because the fact of the matter is, no matter how great of a government we have, they can't solve these issues. And so when you see citizens rise up around each other, it just it, it gives you hope for what we're trying to build for our kids' future. And I know for me, the biggest thing and the conversation I constantly have with others is that the worst thing we can do is forget about Hurricane Harvey in a month. Because these kids and these families and these schools that are affected, they're going to be affected for years to come. And in tragedies like this, we are all super supportive at the beginning, but then that support wanes as it begins to lose our, it begins to leave our memory or our consciousness. And so for me, it's just keeping that at the forefront of the conversation to let them know that this is going to be a long process for a lot of these families and we need to be ready to step up and continue to help however we can, whether it's with your time, your resources, or your finances. And and I don't want to harp on the divisiveness uh, of the country at the moment, um, but but as an educator, I, I really want your point of view. And and so the conversation I try to have with my children is is the chatter that you see on the line and the uh, online, the divisiveness that you see on the news. Mm-hmm. I, I try to represent that as as that is that that is the the violent five percent. That that's the mm-hmm. the two and a half percent on the left and the two and a half percent on the right, and, and that is the the worst of the worst of the negativity. And then I point to the video of of the boat line. And I said, mm-hmm. and, and that's the 90% of the rest of us in this country. And, and 
while while there are a lot of touchy subjects, there's a lot of things I think we all need to be evolved with, with whatever side you fall on and whatever political line you believe in. Um, the news doesn't speak for us. Those boats speak for us. And, and that's exactly. kind of that narrative I want them to, to leave with. What, what, what do you feel about that? Well, you know, I kind of look at it as this is not a conversation we can sweep under the rug. And regardless of the age of the children, this is a conversation we need to be having about what kind of person you want to be and how do you want to represent yourself and how will you stand up? Because when you choose to remain silent, you're always siding with the side of the oppressor and not the side of the oppressed. And so I know, you know, I'm in the midst of writing a reading and writing instructional book called Sparks in the Dark with my friend Travis Crowder. And we have a little podcast that we do here and there called Sparks in the Dark. And after all of the stuff happened with Charlottesville um, in the news and everything, we really wanted to have a conversation about that. And we said, you know, how are we going to do this? We're two white middle class males. How are we going to have an honest, open, respectful conversation without uh, using the voices of others. And so we brought a panel together um, of an African-American principal in Texas, a Puerto Rican immigrant principal in uh, the New Jersey, New York area, and then a principal in Maryland um, who has cerebral palsy. And we want to just talk about diversity and empathy and how do you build that, not only in kids, but in adults and teachers and, and all these people that are coming in contact. And one of the most powerful conversations during that interview that we had, which lasted almost an hour, was that we can't be silent. We have to be talking about this and not just with adults, but with kids too, because if we just push it under the rug, it's never going to get better. And we're just going to pretend uh, of how things are. And so what, like you said, re- regardless of what side you fall on with the political spectrum, um, our kids are watching and our, our, all of our futures are at stake here. And I will not be looking back 20 years from now and being embarrassed that I sat there and watched it happen. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to raise my voice. And, and, and I'm, I want to make sure that, that I know that I fell on the side of the people who are willing to, to fight for what we believe in and fight for what we know is right. I think that's beautifully said. Yeah, I came from a, a completely different perspective growing up, which was an interesting thing. So we were, we were lower middle class, um, and I lived in a white neighborhood, but I went to an all-black school. I, I, I went to a, a school where there was maybe 15, 20 of us that, that were white um, and the rest were Puerto Rican and black. And um, mm-hmm. so I grew up um, truly not seeing color or, or right. underst- not understanding a, a divisive line um, and was was proud of that. And, and um, I then, you know, through my youth, uh, ended up landing in Birmingham, Alabama. Um, and what was interesting was how differently I was treated for being white. It, it, was, it was such a weird feeling for me because I was like, but you don't know how I was raised, right? So there was this right. interesting projection of a different color spectrum thrown on me. Um, do the color of my skin based on the way they'd been treated because of the color of my skin. Does that make sense? And it was it was so weird. Was like, and then you, you find yourself over-justifying because you're like, but wait, you don't know how I was raised. You don't understand. Uh-huh. And then and then you feel awful for over-justifying that because then there's not the empathetic ear. And so it, right. it, it, it is such an interesting conversation. I think that was a beautifully way that you you stated that because it's something that I struggle with in teaching my children um, in, in how to truly be colorblind, even though those around you are not. 
Um, so we're gonna right. we've, we've got to take a break right here. We're gonna let the sponsors uh, uh, talk for us here for a moment. And when we come back, I really want to get into kids deserve it and how that all came about. So we're visiting with Todd Neslini, uh, and you're listening to the Work Life Balance with Rick Morris. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Today, every business is in the software business. And business is booming. That's because we live in an application-driven world where the lines between physical and digital are blurrier every day. It's a world where billions of connected things talk to each other. Where agility is the new driver of competitive advantage. Where applications aren't just part of your brand, they are your brand. All of this means you have a new mandate. Build the apps that will drive the future of your business and satisfy demanding customers, or fall behind. Only CA Technologies has the years of expertise and the end-to-end portfolio of software solutions to help you plan, build, manage, secure, and scale the applications at the heart of your modern enterprise. To learn how your business can thrive, visit rewrite.ca.com, your exclusive source for insights from the cutting edge of the application economy. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the Work-Life Balance. We are visiting with Todd Neslany and... uh, Todd, you know, again, let's let's get to how I even discovered you. So I was going through Twitter, I'm, 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 and I find the hashtag "kids deserve it," and you know, it comes up through my feed, and I'm like, that's interesting. I, what what a beautifully written hashtag, right? Especially when you've got 140 characters or less, and especially with the cruddy hashtags that seem to get popular, um, <laughs> especially for no reason. Um, and so I, you know, I clicked and followed that thread. And it, again, the exchange of ideas and just the beauty of the hashtag was was gorgeous. And and that led us to you. So could you tell us, you know, where that came from, how that started, and and, and what led you or called you to that? 
Yeah, I used to host a co-host a podcast series called Edu All Stars, where we interviewed different people in the education world who just kind of we thought were doing exceptional work. And one of the guys that we interviewed was a guy named Adam Welcome, who at that time was a principal out in uh, Northern California. And he and I connected, and we 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 uh, communicated on social media some after the show, and just hit it off. And I was attending the National Principal Conference. Uh, N-A-E-S-P, in Long Beach, California that summer, and I met him face-to-face, and we just, we hit it off, and he was giving me a hard time about not blogging very much, so we were like, hey, let's just sit down and and write a blog together, because he was like a crazy blogger, like four or five times a week at the time. We sat down, wrote together about just our experience at the conference, and it was really seamless. And at dinner that night at one of the different uh, vendor dinners, we were talking, and he had made some kind of comment about doing things because that's what kids deserve. And so when he and I were talking, I was like, hey, let's run with this. And he was like, yeah, we can do something with this kids deserve it thing. So I said, you know, we can, we can share our innovative ideas, and we can share our ways to change education and, and constantly just say to do this because that's what kids deserve because how do you argue with that when, when that's the reason behind it? And so we opened up a Twitter account and started the hashtag. And by the end of the weekend, we had over a thousand followers. And so we thought, you know, maybe we're on to something. So we created a Facebook page, bought the website. And then a friend of mine named Dave Burgess, who's a New York Times bestselling author of Teach Like a Pirate, he started his own uh, publishing company. And he had been asking me to consider writing something for him. And so I brought him the idea of a Kids Deserve It type book with me and Adam, and he loved it. We submitted some chapters, um, and he gave us a deal. Six months later, we turned in the book, and then six months after that, in June of 2016, the book came out, and it just took off like wildfire, um, exceeding our expectations. In the first month alone, we met our goal for what we had hoped to sell in a year, um, because we had no idea what we were doing. Um, But we just wanted to start a movement uh, that was positive, that eliminated excuses and that allowed teachers to share ideas and resources that would benefit kids um, and do what's best for them at all times. Um, and, you know, when, when looking at making, like, even now, like when I talk about making decisions as an administrator, I say, you know, am I making decisions that are best for kids or easy for adults? Because there's a clear difference between the two. And so we just have started that movement. And the people that are sharing on the hashtag are super passionate um, they have brilliant ideas. We've got a weekly chat every Wednesday night at 8 Central. Um, and so we've just, this community has been powerful um, just to watch them come together um, around something that is not a complaining, not a let's take down the system. It's more of a, you know what, we're working in the system. We're going to do the best we can, and we're going to bring our all for kids every day. That's amazing. And, and you know what I love is also having a thinking partner like that where you're building on mm-hmm. such beautiful ideas and, and working off each other. I think that that, that you know, it becomes an amazing uh, an event. And, and, you know, I make no bones about who my mentor is in, in John Maxwell and in the three values that, that he says, you know, that we do every day, right, is that we value people every day. Um, we we uh, make sure that we believe in people every day and that we love them unconditionally every day. And when you do that for children and, and, and you give that belief and you and you let children borrow your belief in them, they 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 repay that loan with, with belief in themselves. Right. Exactly. So the, the amazing thing in that is to watch somebody sprout and grow. 
Um, right. And it, it, that to me is what kids deserve beyond all else, right? Is is the mm-hmm. the gift of belief in themselves, and so. So you you then took that idea and then started to go with Sparks in the Dark, right? That that kind of started to evolve from there. Is that correct? Well, uh, this, uh, so with when Kids Deserve It, when we wrote that and it came out, I was like, I will never write another book again. That was exhausting. All my <laughs> ideas on stage, I poured my whole heart and soul into it. I was like, my manifesto is done. <laughs> and so um, then about six months after it came out, I started getting the bug again to want to write something. And I thought, you know, one thing that I really like doing is amplifying the voice of others. Um, that's something I'm really passionate about because I think too often, especially in education, there's so many brilliant educators doing exceptional work who don't get recognized for the work that they do. And so I had this idea of, you know, what if my next step from Kids Deserve It, it still ties back into it, is like using my staff. I was like, what if we write a book from our perspective as a school in what we believe in education? Because that's not out there to have a whole school tell their story. And so I went to Dave and I was like, Dave, I've got an idea for another book. I wanted to do this book called Stories from Web. And I said, because our school's Web Elementary. And I said, you know, I want to write the book all myself, but I want to feature inserts and anecdotes in every chapter from different staff members, whether that's my music teacher, my campus secretary, an instructional aide in the life skills room, or a classroom teacher. I want to feature the voices of my staff and allow them to tell their heart and soul on the page. And he said, I love it. Let's do it. And so I turned in my manuscript at the middle of July. It's being edited right now, and it's going to be coming out in December. Um, and so I'm so excited just to get to amplify the voices of my team here um, because, you know, a lot, some people will look at me and say, oh, look at what Todd's doing over at Webb. Look at what Todd's doing in Navasota, Texas. And I have to say, you know, it's not me. It's my team. When you surround yourself with brilliant people, it brings everybody up. And and I know I work with brilliant people just like so many other educators do as well. And and then in addition to that, you brought up Sparks in the Dark. You know, that came from over the last year and a half, I have fallen in love with reading and writing instruction, which is hilarious to me because I was a math teacher. And I was like stereotypical math teacher. Like I was hardcore, all about the math. And then um, I read this book called The Book Whisperer by Donalyn Miller and it like rocked my world and changed my life about what I viewed about reading and writing instruction. And I've just been devouring information and research and, and knowledge and books. And I met this guy named Travis Crowder again on Twitter. Um, we actually haven't even met in person yet. We meet in person for the first time in November. Um, but I met him on Twitter about eight months ago and we hit it off like wildfire and just uh, the, depth of knowledge that he brings to the reading and writing instructional field. I have never met anybody like him. That's just so intelligent, incredibly passionate, um, and just all about blazing new trails. And so we start, we wrote some blog posts together and it was really cool. It was very different than writing with Adam. Um, but, but they're both such great experiences writing with both of them. And so I told Travis, I was like, you know what? I would really love to partner with you and share a book about reading and writing instruction and how it can be different. It doesn't have to be this stereotypical way. And he said, let's do it. And we submitted the idea to Dave Burgess again. And Dave said, I love this one too. And so we're in the midst of writing that one right now. And our manuscript is due in December. Um, but uh, it's just been it's just been a, a great experience just getting to share my heart on the page as well as get to show up every day at Webb Elementary and just love on these kids and, and build up my staff. 
That's amazing stories. And it, what's interesting about you, I was laughing with you when you when you wrote your first book. When I wrote my first one, I was like, "That's it. I'm never doing it." And so now, now that I'm at my fifth book, um, you know, John, John's written a hundred and I think eleven or hundred and twelve, something of that sort. Um, uh-huh. And what he laughs about now is is he he says his you know somebody comes up and says, "Oh, John, I, I read your first book," and he says. Why? <laughs> and he's, because because it's our best that we have at the time, right? And it, and we poured so much into it. And, and what's interesting, uh-huh. and what I love about your passion, is how much you're really starting to dive into the reading and writing and instruction, right? Mm-hmm. Which means your your growth level is going to grow exponentially in that in that field of study. Um, in that passion and, and as you write every book you're going to get so much better and you're going to go back to that first one and go what was I writing <laughs> right? so, well, so John well, even I said that's what happened <laughs> right right that's the amazing part John John um, was sharing with us a story um, um, it, w- one of his books it, it's one of the you know one of the best-selling books that he has and, and he's he's rewriting it and it, it was he was just going to do you know a second run essentially that but it's literally like 89 percent of the book he's rewritten because he was like, yeah, I, I don't believe in any of this anymore because he's grown over the years. He's yeah. better. And so, it, you know, this book is literally 10 years old and he's like, yeah, that's not me anymore. And yeah, um, exactly. so they're going to call it like 2.0, right. Versus, versus a, a second edition. So it really interesting. And I, and, and I, I, I can't wait to start to, to pour in to see, see these books. And in the one I'm so excited to read um, it, not not only all of them, but the stories from Webb sounds absolutely exciting. So we're going to tease it right there. We've got to take another break. We're going to be right back with Todd. You're listening to Work Life Bounce, Rick Morris. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. This is not a radio ad. It's a collection of computers, servers, transmitters, satellites, and receivers, all powered by the most transformative force in business today, software. Just think about how many applications you have within reach at this very moment. And not just on your phone. If you're in your car, software is powering the GPS that guides you. Turn left ahead. The digital road signs that direct you onward. And the engine computer that keeps you moving. Soon, software will even replace you as the driver. Switching to auto drive mode. This is life in the application economy. And the opportunities for businesses are endless. But only if you have the tools to seize them. From planning to development to management to security, end-to-end software solutions from CA Technologies can help your business succeed in this new application-driven world. Learn how at rewrite.ca.com. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? 
In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the work-life balance. And, and, you know, Todd, there's a couple of topics I'd love to get your perspective on as an educator, as somebody who's right there on the front lines. And, um, you know, I I think there's a thousand topics we could discuss. You know, one of the ones that bothers me, and um, I'm actually speaking about this at the the Resource Planning Summit, you know, we, we continue to label this millennial generation, right? I keep hearing this. One of the biggest things I'm hearing not only millennial generation, but is they keep calling it, you know, they keep saying the children today are not being prepared for their future, um, either with, whether it's in the education system or whether it's coming through college. Um, they're they're not being set up properly to succeed in the work environment and and succeed in college, succeed in the next level. Is, is that something you've heard? Is that something you dispel? Is that you, talk to me about what you're feeling when I say say that? You know, I'm kind of torn on that because I I look at it from several different perspectives. One, I feel like our accountability system that the government and the states have decided on to judge student success, I think has really ruined a lot of the innovation in schools. Um, I think there is a necessary need to make sure we're judging our accountabilities and making sure we're achieving um, different benchmarks and things that we want to achieve. But I think so often, especially when I think about the state of Texas and the impact that those tests have had on instruction, where some schools that completely revolves around getting kids to pass the test. Yeah, in those situations, those kids are not being prepared for the real world because the real world is not going to judge you based upon how well you can answer A, B, C, or D. Now, granted, there are some jobs that may judge you on that, or, or yes, getting into college, you have to know how to take a test. I'm not saying to get rid of those things. I'm saying that when that becomes a sole focus. And so for me as an administrator, walking that fine line of knowing that I have this state assessment that determines not only the accountability for my school, but also funding and also my job if my kids don't perform, but also knowing that I'm teaching kids. And when I say kids, I'm talking about four-year-olds up to 18, 19-year-olds. Um, and I'm teaching them. And I always tell, tell people everywhere I go, when you're a teacher, 50% of your job is the academic instruction and 50% of your job is the emotional instruction. Because when we can't put emphasis more on one or the other, because the world we're preparing our kids for is so different, and it's not even a world that existed two years ago or three years ago. Our world is changing so rapidly that we have to constantly be innovating and trying new things um, and teaching kids how to collaborate, how to connect with others, how to, how to work with new technology tools, because we don't know what. My, my kindergartners that I have at my campus, I don't know what they're going to be entering in when they graduate high school. 
And it's not that I have to prepare them exactly for that world, but I need to prepare them to be kids who can think on their feet, kids who are not self-entitled, kids who know to put others before themselves and to work to build community and to work to build empathy and understanding, but also work to be creative and boundary pushers and innovators um, and not be afraid of taking risks, even if you're going to fail sometimes. And, and it's hard to do that in the system that we've created in the United States with our accountabilities, but it's not impossible. And so I think there are a lot of educators, and I've seen them as I've traveled the country and through Canada, that there are so many educators doing work that would blow your mind with kids of all ages. And then you go into some places, and they're doing very stereotypical, sterile, desks in rows instruction. And, and that's not good for kids. But I think you can look at in the corporate world, too. I mean, you have some businesses that do exceptional work with their business. I mean, you think about what we see and hear about Google headquarters, and then you think about another company's headquarters and go, well, no wonder their people aren't as innovative as Google's because Google has built this environment that wants to challenge the status quo. And so we just need more and more educators standing up, willing to challenge the status quo, but still educate our kids to a depth that they need. And, and I th- thank you so much for that answer. I think that's gorgeous. Said so. It, it, it just like anything else, you can't lump everybody into a box. No. And 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 so to continue to say that, and, and one of the words um, that was very impactful for me, and, and I don't normally quote John and Mark Cole and everybody else as much as I have, but you, you have no idea. I just had three days of just being poured into. Um, but but you know, Mark Cole was talking about entitlement in in. The, the entitlement thing, and, and he said a poster child for entitlement is somebody who wants the power of proximity, meaning, you know, I, I demand to be a VP or a president or a leader or somebody who's being recognized who stops performing. And and to me, that, that was such a beautifully way he said, right? So we perform to get there, and then once we get there, we stop performing and still assume that we get that power of proximity. And at mm-hmm. the same time... Um, you know, John was speaking about the, why he continues to write books and why he continues to learn and do what he does is he doesn't want to to have to, to live on the legend of his past. He wants to be known for the innovation of his future. And, and again, you know, beautifully said. So you've got somebody who's at the pinnacle of his career in, in leadership writing and he's not resting on his best. Um, and I think both of those examples to me are, are examples to be followed that says, you know, just because we've achieved means we stop. Exactly. Um, right, right. It's that continued innovation. So let's let me let me hit you on the other topic because you fascinate me, and I have to have you back. You you understand? <laughs> I have to have you back on the show. Um, if you'll come, if you'll come, of course. If, if I haven't done such a horrible job of, of representing you, um, the diversity angle as well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we continue to to, to struggle, especially now. You know, Charlottesville has happened. Um, there's so much discussion about what's right, what's wrong, um, all of these other things. And again, I, I think it's very, very important that we have honest conversations and, and we create a culture in which diversity is accepted. And I know you're passionate about that topic. Incredibly. And, you know, it's so funny because when we talk about diversity, so often the conversation comes back to race and then the conversation stops. And, and when I, I have really worked to really make sure that when I'm talking about diversity, race is a part of the picture, but so is religion, so is sexual orientation, so is family dynamics, so is socioeconomic status, 
Um, so is physical and mental disabilities. I mean, all of that has to do with diversity, which is why, you know, earlier when I talked about our Sparks in the Dark episode, I didn't want it to be a conversation just about race. I want it to be, that's why I brought somebody who was an immigrant. That's why I brought somebody different races, but I also brought a principal who had cerebral palsy because diversity covers all of that, and we don't want to marginalize any groups. And, you know, you talked about earlier about how, you know, as you grow up and, and you do different things, your experience, your beliefs change. And it's so funny to me um, that, you know, the last chapter of, of Stories from Web, I'll go ahead and give you all a preview. <laughs> Nobody else knows this, but the last chapter in Stories from Web, uh, I wrote a letter to my former self. And in that letter, I was inspired by a, a song by Nicole Nordeman, who is one of my favorite singer-songwriters. She wrote a song called Dear Me on her most recent album that came out this year. And it was a letter to her former self, and I was so incredibly moved by it that I said, you know, I, I want to do the same thing, and I, and I want to address some beliefs that I had when I started education. Because, you know, I always said, you know what, I'm not racist. You know what, I include everybody. I don't have those beliefs. And then when I would listen to some of the things I thought or believed, it was things like, you know, everybody needs to speak English when they come to America. And, and you know, people on welfare, they just need to pull it together and get off. And I look back now and I think, God, what was wrong with me? Why would I even say those things or believe those things when, when I am so much more educated now into the understandings of others that I, I just, I'm embarrassed that I was that person. But, you know, and part of Sparks in the Dark and part of work that Travis Crowder and I do is really talking about literacy and how when you read books from, that have characters that don't look or sound like you, that's how you build empathy for others. And I talk to so many adults who are like, I'm not a reader. And, you know, I don't believe that for a second, number one. Because once you find a book you love, you become a reader. So you're not not a reader. What you are is you haven't found that book that, t- that speaks to your soul. And, you know, then I talk to people who say, well, I don't have time. And, you know, I always tell educators when I do presentations and speaks and speak, I always say, you know, I don't ever want to hear that sentence come out of your mouth again. Because you have time for exactly what you choose to make time for. And it's okay to say that there are other things in my life that are more important right now, but I can't stand people say, I don't have time for that. No, you have time, just other things are more important right now. And so for me, I have, I have made reading important. 15 minutes before I go to bed every night, I try to read. And sometimes I get that, sometimes I get more, sometimes I fall asleep in the middle of five minutes. And so, but I'm, I'm trying to read those books and I read on a plane. But I've started reading books over the last year that have really diverse characters that I haven't read before. Because when I did an inventory of my office books and my books that I was reading to students, all the books were either white characters or animalistic characters, um, and so or animal characters. And so I was like, oh my gosh, I don't have characters of color. I don't have characters that come from different religions. I don't have characters who speak different languages. I don't have characters with physical deformities. And so I said, you know, I really need to do that with my picture books that I'm going to read to kids, but I want to diversify my own reading too. And so when I got with Travis, Travis said, well, the one book he said, I want you to read, is called The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. And I read that book in January, February of this year, and it changed my life, rocked my world, blew my mind. Um, It is about a girl who, an African-American girl who is present when her friend is shot by a police officer. And the entire story is a story about how that one incident affects her, her family, her community, her school, everything. 
And, you know, I don't know if you can tell by this conversation, but I am not an African-American female. I didn't grow up in a difficult neighborhood. So I don't know what it's like coming from that. But I felt like I was reading an autobiography, and it opened my eyes to a different culture, a different upbringing. And does that mean that I completely understand the plight of the African-American struggle or the struggle of people who grew up in poverty? No, I don't. But I have more of an understanding than I did before. Um, and so I think that's where the power comes is by reading those other characters and connecting with them and, and letting them tell their stories and, and letting it speak to your heart and then taking those stories and sharing them with others. Um, because I feel like my empathy towards others ha- has deepened beyond a level I would have ever anticipated. And, and I credit fully to books. And now that I have got addicted to these characters that are nothing like me, I can't stop reading about these characters from all these diverse backgrounds and me going, oh my gosh, my mind has been blown about how limit, how much I was limiting myself. And by limiting my own knowledge, I was limiting the others around me because I was only sharing my beliefs and I was only sharing the way I was raised. And I wasn't sharing a more open-minded view or, or a concept that would really help me connect with more people. And the fact of the matter is, you're not going to walk into this world and go to a city where every single person looks exactly like you with the same religion, same upbringing, same beliefs. So we have to be ready. It doesn't mean I have to agree with everything that I read. It doesn't mean I have to agree with everybody I come in contact with. But I can disagree and still appreciate and respect the person. Yeah, and it requires the open conversation of it. And I think that that's right. where I get frustrated sometimes with the politics that's happening is, is having the open conversation. For me, it's podcasts. You know, I, lo- I love listening yep. to podcasts of people who challenge my thoughts. So yep. I want to walk into a podcast thinking I believe in something that is the contrary view. And so I purposefully choose a podcast that I think that they're going to be contrary to my belief. And then you listen you know, with an open heart. And that is my beautiful. What, oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. You know, and you're so right. Because when I'm, I'm super active on social media. And I talk about the same thing, about how we cannot create these echo chambers. And I want to connect with people who are going to disagree with me and who, I, and who are going to challenge my thinking because that's exciting to me um, to learn from them, just like what you were saying. Yep. And we got to take our final break right here. We're going to be right back with uh, Todd Neslini. You're listening to the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Today, every business is in the software business. And business is booming. That's because we live in an application-driven world where the lines between physical and digital are blurrier every day. It's a world where billions of connected things talk to each other. Where agility is the new driver of competitive advantage. Where applications aren't just part of your brand, they are your brand. All of this means you have a new mandate. Build the apps that will drive the future of your business and satisfy demanding customers, or fall behind. Only CA Technologies has the years of expertise and the end-to-end portfolio of software solutions to help you plan, build, manage, secure, and scale the applications at the heart of your modern enterprise. To learn how your business can thrive, visit rewrite.ca.com, your exclusive source for insights from the cutting edge of the application economy. This is not a radio ad. It's a collection of computers, servers, transmitters, satellites, and receivers, all powered by the most transformative force in business today, software. 
Just think about how many applications you have within reach at this very moment. And not just on your phone. If you're in your car, software is powering the GPS that guides you. Turn left ahead. The digital road signs that direct you onward. And the engine computer that keeps you moving. Soon, software will even replace you as the driver. Switching to auto drive mode. This is life in the application economy. And the opportunities for businesses are endless. But only if you have the tools to seize them. From planning to development to management to security, end-to-end -end software solutions from CA Technologies can help your business succeed in this new application-driven world. Learn how at rewrite.ca.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back. We're talking to Todd Nestlin. And, and I'm telling you if, you, if you're just now joining the show, you, you're absolutely going to have to go download this podcast because the amount of topics that we've covered in such an efficient amount of time is is just mind-numbing. Um, from, from Hurricane Harvey to the millennial generation to standardized testing to diversity um, to just a frank discussion about, you know, everything. It's It's been incredible, Todd. You've been a fantastic guest. So, um so just coming back really quickly, you know, Todd, one of my favorite questions to always ask every one of our guests uh, near the close of the show here um, is, is what's some of the best advice you've ever been given? You know, I've got so many great mentors who have really inspired me and challenged me and given me great advice along the way. And I think, you know, there's so many things that I could list as, as words of wisdom that I said, I mean, that they've told me. But for me, it's just thinking back to the concept of being always told uh, to push the boundaries, um, try things that are different, and don't be afraid of failure. Just don't fail doing the same thing over and over again. And I, I, I use the phrase every day on our announcement that the number one rule at Web Elementary is to be brave. And I think that advice of just being brave in what you do and stepping out on a limb sometimes, knowing that it might break, but knowing that it just might bend under the weight and then just be all good to go. Um, that's been the best advice I've been given is to continually be brave in the decisions that I make and stand up for what I know is right. So I, I, I think that that uh, the internet's slowing down right now because people are searching where web is so that they can start <laughs> to look at real estate, you know, so so children can come <laughs> learn from you. I think that I think that's happening as we speak. Um, but certainly, you you give us hope, um, and, and I love your passion. I love the fact also, and, and we, we haven't covered this yet, but I love that, that you have the, the, the passion and the bug to inspire because I think more and more people need to hear your message. And if we if we can innovate to a culture where it's your passion and your heart that becomes the norm in, in our school administration, um, we're going to be just fine. Um, well, thank you. I, uh, it's, it's not the norm, which is why we find you exceptional. Um but it's getting there. But we need people like you um, leading the way. We do. Um, well, and I so, that. Thank you. Yeah, it, it, we, we, we need to get to a point where Todd's not our diamond in the rough. 
we, we need we, we we need we need to get to the point where where in in I'd love it for for your passion to be average in in our schools. Right. Does that make sense? It, yeah. And totally. I'm not calling you average by any means, but your passion <laughs> and your desire and your drive for our children, and in the the love and belief that they should share. I would love just half of your passion just to be average. That would be well, amazing. You know, and that's why that's why I'm so passionate about getting out there and speaking. And you know, I never thought that I would be a speaker. I'm terrified of speaking in front of adults. And before every presentation, I still feel like I want to throw up. Um, but I think it's exactly like what you said. I think my biggest drive is that sometimes people are afraid to take the leap, but maybe once they see somebody else has, they'll be more likely to do it. And so I want to get out there and use my story and the story of those I've been coming in contact with to inspire others to make the changes in their environment. And, and when I tell those stories, I do it from a place of honesty and bluntness, but with humor. And so that way it's like, you know what? Quit making excuses shut your mouth and show up to do the work and do it awesome and be awesome. And you're going to make mistakes, but still get out there and kill it. Cause that's what our kids deserve. And Todd, just so you know, I've been speaking professionally for 15 years in, in that number one, the feeling never goes away. And number two, you never want it to go away because that means you become <laughs> complacent in the delivery of your message. So um, again, thank you so much for joining us. We, we'd love to have you back. We certainly want you back too. When sparks in the dark comes out. Uh, or, or certainly stories from the web, stories from web, not stories from the web, but stories from web. <laughs> I would love to. So thank you so much for spending the time with us here on the Work-Life Balance. Again, coming up, uh, the 11th, 12th, and 13th, Austin, Texas will be out there for the Resource Planning Summit. Uh, October 6th is the big live to lead. I did uh, leave off that uh, September 14th. Uh, we'll be in New York City. It's a private event, but we'll be out there in New York City for our fans that are there and want to shout out to us. Uh, we'll be there the evening of the 13th uh, for a meetup, if you like. Um, also, uh, we've got uh, coming up September 26th, the IIBA conference here in Birmingham, Alabama. And then, of course, the Des Moines, Iowa. All of those can be found at rickamorris.com. Past episodes of the Work-Life Balance are always downloadable as a podcast so that uh, if you want to take us on the road, you can. That's going to be found on your iTunes platforms or you know, any of your platforms that you'd like to do. So if you just joined this episode... Don't worry, because starting tomorrow, you're going to be able to download it on your favorite platform as well. So please also follow Todd at, at Tech Ninja Todd, right? Tech Ninja Todd. And uh, you can also find him at, at Kids Deserve It, or also follow the hashtag Kids Deserve It as well. Um, so again, thank you and a huge shout out to Todd for joining us today. As always, thank you for listening to the Work-Life Balance. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Uh, coming up next week, we've got another fantastic guest, and you're just going to have to tune in to hear who it is. So we love you guys. We appreciate you guys. We'll talk to you next Friday right here on the Work-Life Balance. You've been listening to Rick Morris. We hope you have a great Labor Day weekend. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for joining us this week. The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now that the weekend is here, it's time to rethink your priorities and enjoy it. We'll see you on our next show. 